Hey, onesies, Josh Williams here, and thanks for checking out the One Man Podcast. There's now over 200 episodes and dozens of bonus interviews, all of which are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you know what? If you don't have any of those apps, no big deal, because you can listen anytime at onemanpodcast.com. So be sure to subscribe, because it's always free, and there's a new episode out every Wednesday. And while you're at it, leave a review. It's a great way to help the podcast, and it doesn't cost you a thing. Follow One Man Podcast on all the major socials, and you'll get bonus content and pictures, fun stuff for yourself. And finally, if you have something that you want read on the show, send it to contact at onemanpodcast.com because if you send it, I'll read it on an upcoming episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. What's up everybody? This is DJ Demers. I'm K. Trevor Wilson. Hey, it's Krista Allen. Hi, this is Rick Mercier. What's up guys? This is Paul Verzi and you are listening to the One Man Podcast. Yeah! My name is Josh Williams, and welcome to the One Man Podcast, episode number 347 for Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. Merry Christmas to you guys and my onesies. How you doing? Did you guys have a great Christmas? Did you have a great holiday season? I should have said happy holidays. I said Merry Christmas because that was the official date that I was referencing, but the entire holiday season, happiest of holidays. Merry Boxing Day. Festivus for the rest of us. I would like to welcome everyone who's listening. If this is your first time tuning into the One Man Podcast, what is this thing that I clicked on by accident? Or intentionally? <laughs> we should all be living more intentionally. It is me, comedian, brand ambassador, Earthling Josh Williams, telling you what is going on with me personally, professionally, everything in between. And this week, I'm going to tell you guys about the last couple of days that I worked the uh, Santa Claus booth, not as Santa himself, just, just at the booth there. I did an interview for uh, a tour that I may go on. I celebrated my stand-up comedy anniversary, guys. I watched some movies. I started watching some movies. I got sick. I got sick too. I'll tell you guys about that. You know, played a little played a little code names practice game with with Red. And I think is that yeah, I think that's everything I did in, in preparation for 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 our game that's coming up. And I finished, I finished two seasons of a show, thus concluding the show. But I got to tell you guys all about that. You know, then I've got the word of the week. I got the top five. I got, I got some, some shit for you guys. So let's just get right into it. I'll mention this. I celebrated my stand-up comedy anniversary, December 21st, 2008. That's when I started guys 15 years doing stand-up comedy still haven't been fired yet. In fact, I think it's the best job I've ever done. I think it's the, uh, it's the most fun I've ever had. And I think it's the best at a job I ever do. Really enjoy slanging the jokes, talking about dicks and vaginas and parallels that would upset some people. Finding a really interesting, clean thing and then comparing it to something dirty. I do all sorts of, guys, those are my four jokes. <laughs> no, I, I, I love doing what I do. How did I celebrate? I was working the holiday, the, the holiday Santa booth. Did I even know it was my anniversary that day? Nope. Nope. Didn't even know. Wasn't paying attention. It's one of those things where every now and again, I'll look at the calendar and like two weeks afterwards, I was like, I'll be looking for something around that week. What was the day I was doing that? I was like, oh, fuck my comedy anniversary. I wish would like one of the notifications that would actually go off on my phone. That'd be great. You know, just stop and go, wow, whatever I'm doing today. Usually I'm doing something around the holidays during the day that isn't comedy. That isn't comedy. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, but I celebrated by working. So, you know, I, uh, I'm just, it's just interesting to stop and go, wow, 15 years I've been doing this. It's fun. It's nice. I'd, I'd like to, I, you know, when I was, when I was new to stand up, I, oh, look me, I'm going to tell a story now. Look me. I don't know what's going on, gang. I'm sitting here sipping coffee as a staple of the show. But I, I just think back to like all of the stuff. Let's do a little retrospective here. When I started stand up guys, I was excited. You know, first little while was me just, I like this. I want to keep doing this. I want to get on every stage I can and tell jokes. Now I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I'm not going all the way out there for, for nothing for six minutes. What am I going to do with six minutes and do a couple minutes of crowd work and then be done. Nah, I'm not doing that. I got to go out and, you know, I'm going to go again at least 20 minutes, at least 15 to 20 minutes, or you got to pay me. So now I'm, I'm a bit of a diva, but when I first started, I loved doing stand up. I loved like just any, any amount of time I would drive to other cities. I, I, within my first year, I was, I was 
you know, running the tailgater show and absolute comedy satellite night that, that gave me an opportunity to meet a lot of like great comics first time, you know, us comics as well. Guys who've like blown up and done things unimaginable at this point. They were already headliners and stuff at the time, obviously, and touring internationally, coming to a different country to work. But I just, it was nice meeting them, getting to work with some guys early on, friendships that I've made that I still maintain today. And, you know, it was, it was a neat little rush for me. Then, then like, you know, somewhere around my first year mark, I got nominated for like, you know, comedy award. I was nominated for, for best standup newcomer for the Canadian comedy awards. So I was really getting some heat on me because I was working hard. I was, I was not only that I was producing shows, but I just loved doing standup and I would spend my spare nights. I wasn't in a relationship. I spent my evenings hanging out at the comedy club, listening to headliners, talking to the headliners because I was immersing myself in standup. Like I was free during the day. So I'd go spend time with them, just walk around, shoot the shit really just really just immersing myself in standup. And I, and I had some heat behind me. I didn't know how toxic the industry could be at times. So when, you know, I was just a guy who was having fun and, and, you know, enjoying spending time with other comics, like a, like a fraternity people who, again, kind of got me in the sense that like, you know, we all talk about like weird taboo things. We all have different mindsets and perspectives, but nobody's going like, Oh my God, why are you talking about this? Like you would sit down at a table with comedians and everyone was just cool to talk about shit. That was what was, that was what I loved hugely initially, but, but I, uh, I was a very welcoming and, and open and, and equal person. So every now and again, you'd sit down with a group of guys who were, you know, it was like a click. It's like, what are you doing here? You know, and they didn't necessarily make you feel that way the second you sat down, but then you'd find out, you know, through the grapevine or whatever that, you know, groups don't like you because you thought you could just sit at their table, which I, I. I guess all my favorite guys that I was coming up around were the ones that were like, there's no kiss the ring shit. You know, they're like, there's like, they're like, there's guys that are like, oh, here, kiss the ring, whatever, you know, like pay your dues kid or whatever. But they're like, yeah, that's, that's some guys, not everybody's like that. And, and the guys that I liked and then hung out with were, were infinitely more successful and they were very inclusive and nice to everybody. So I was like, all right, well, that's the kind of comic that I'm going to be. I'm never going to treat somebody like they can't sit at my table if they're not good enough. You know what I mean? And so I, I think I, I got a little, I was a little hurt by some of like the, some of the, the less than cordial stuff in the industry, you know, and also, you know, in my first year I was, you know, like a lot of the other amateurs, but then as soon as I started to show a little bit of business acumen by being able to produce my own shows and, you know, getting paid work and things like that and working with Jason, like I've, I've had to tell several comics since that like everybody's best friends at the amateur level until somebody starts to pull ahead of the pack. And then you just feel all the the hate and resentment and jealousy and stuff like that. When you start to get things that they're not getting and, uh, and if you allow it, it'll make you feel shitty about what you're accomplishing because now all the people who are nice to you aren't nice to you anymore. And you're like, I'm just working hard. Like, why is, you know, why, why are you guys unhappy? Like, why are you being, you know, cold and shit? And, and I let it affect me early and I, I didn't have anyone who's like, Hey man, it's just how it goes. Like, you know, don't worry about it. I don't even know if I talked about it a lot. I think I just walked around with heaping helpings of insecurity. I saw something recently where someone was talking, saying that like, when you deal with like insecurities and stuff like that, and you have like personal value issues, like whenever you experience something that's even slightly like that, it kind of like reaffirms. You're like, yeah, that's because of you. You're the common denominator. You're not worthy. And so this feeling that you're feeling is because it's you and you don't, you know, you don't believe you. I, I can't remember the, the, the succinct feeling of it, but it was like, it was essentially like just another thing I needed to hear where it's like, every time you feel something shitty from a thing or whatever, it's like, it's just reaffirming what you already believe about yourself kind of thing. And so it's like, you need to, to treat yourself. You need to believe, you know, in yourself more so that when that shit happens, it's, it's incorrect information, not, not validating something that you already believe, whatever. But at the time, man, I was still a very, I guess I was a friendly person, but I was very like angry and bitter at times about other things. My, a lot of fear, anger's fear. So I was walking around with like, you know, Hey, am I going to make something myself? I was, I was late twenties. So I wasn't in, and I, I still wasn't in good shape. I'm in better shape now than I was then. But I think just overall, it was a sad time. I think a, a year in, I just started to, to date Crystal. We had, you know, saw each other again, spent some time. So I was feeling like, oh, I've got a, a relationship now. But at the same time, like kind of angry, frayed Josh, no real direction in life. And where is this going to take me? And am I going to make it right? which I'm still, when it comes to stand up, I'm still dealing with that stuff today. 
but I was passionate. You know, I think I, I had a book, I had a, a, I've probably told this story in the podcast before, but I had, I borrowed Crystal's car one night. I don't remember why she was using my car or I'd borrowed her car, whatever happened or she, or just the cars were in an order that I had to take hers instead of mine. And it was just easier to drive her car. Well, she didn't have tinted windows. And, uh, in that week I had been going to Starbucks cause I had all these different notebooks with all these just little sloppy notes in them. And I was like, man, I would, it would even go over some of these notes. I go, what was I talking about? Or like, oh, I barely remember what I meant. Right. And I still have notes like that. I was literally looking at some the other day, but having said that, I was like, okay, I was going to Starbucks every day. So I had all the notebooks with me and I had my laptop for, for, for note taking and stuff like that. And then I had this brand new like binder that I bought with like line paper. And I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the note. I'm going to write it in this new binder and then I'm going to put a bunch of little bullet points with it of, of what my angle is on this joke. So that when I sit down to maybe work on it, I'll be able to flush it out. And wow, I had half a page of notes, guys. I'm like, this is going to be a short episode. But every time I think that we go off into something, now we're 10 minutes into a story about a one line of me, which saying, Hey, celebrating my comedy anniversary. But yeah, so I had, I had all my notes, any note, any piece of work I had ever done on stand up comedy was all with me. And it was in my backpack. I took my, I took Crystal's car to absolute comedy. I was running the open mic Mondays and I remember I had my backpack inside with my laptop and all my shit in it. And it was behind where the sound stuff was, but there's a lot of people inside. I'm like, you know what? I should go put this in the car so it doesn't get stolen. And I put it in her car on the passenger seat, locked the door. And after the show, I came out, the, the passenger window was smashed and the backpack was gone. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Her car, her windows weren't tinted. So you could see right inside, I guess the backpack was right there. Someone just smashed it, took a backpack, which with comedy notes worth nothing to anybody but me, right? My laptop. And that was a huge thing. The insurance company tried to fuck me on it and say like, oh, it was a business thing. So we're not covering anything. I was just like, like it was on, it was unreal guys. It was like, it was like I had every, like I, the, the day afterwards I sat down with a pen and a paper. Like I, I, I had, I can't even describe how many pages of like one line, just a premise note right? Like it's like you were making a grocery list, like just pages and pages and pages of like a grocery list. And so I'm like, you know, and then, and then other pages with, with expanded shit on that or whatever, plus the new binder. Right. So like everything was in that bag. And I just remember the day afterwards, I sat down with a pen and paper trying to remember my stuff. And I think I got a page in like a quarter of just, that's all I can remember about the jokes I do. And it affected me, affected me for a long time. And I know that that is my responsibility at the time. I was just like, it was just like, and I, and I have this defeatist attitude at times where I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, I, I put it out in the car so it wouldn't get stolen. Like it would have been safer if I just left it inside, but I'm just like, you know, like it's, I've talked about this at other times where I'm just like, you know, some people get to go through life and there's other people looking out for them and you know, they, they go through life and they're like, Hey, don't worry. Don't stress. Like they see me stressing. Hey, don't worry. Don't stress. Everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, yeah, you can think that because there's other people watching your back, including myself. So when you fuck up, don't worry. Someone's already built a contingency for you. Whereas with me, I'm like, nobody's building my shit for me when I go around. It's like inspector gadget. I have no penny and brain making sure that I don't fall. Right. So these people walk through life and they think, Hey, fuck, nothing happened. I was good the whole time. It's like, oh no, you, you almost walked off a cliff like 50 times and somebody put you back on the, the correct path. You've behind the scenes people. I don't have that, but I know that I feel really shitty. Cause I'm like, it doesn't matter how much planning and preparing I do. doesn't matter how many precautions I take. I still get like, if the universe has decided not, dude, you're getting fucked today. It's like, I have a final destination phantom only instead of me like, oh, you avoided getting killed. And now I have to kill you. It's more like, you know, no, you have to suffer. <laughs> Like you have to have shit happen to you. So I don't care how much stress and time and anxiety you spend preparing these situations. This sounds really whiny right now. I'm aware, but I just remember being so bummed out. I was like, I, I was trying to prevent it. I, I literally put it there so it wouldn't get stolen, got stolen anyways, forgot all my notes. Then the, then the universe, then the insurance company is like, yeah, go fuck yourself. We're not, we're not, we're not buying you a new laptop. I'm like, I can't even claim the notes. There's no value to them. There's no monetary value the, the career damage it did to me at the time. So it just made me like, I was, I was sad and bitter and hurt by comedy. I was afraid to, I was afraid to build material and stuff again. Cause I'm like, why it's just going to get fucking stolen. Someone, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was bad. I, I bitter sure, but I was, I was defeated. 
I was defeated. And then I was in, you know, I wasn't doing great in my relationship because I'm like, great, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm going to, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it when I was like passionate and working on it every day. You know, all that's been taken from me, which is not true. It wasn't, but I felt like it had been. And I'm like, I just, I, I just can't believe, you know, and then, you know, my insecurities in the relationship, like, am I going to be good enough if I can't bring home the bacon? You know, am I going to get left? Tons of shit. So I had a real, like real kick to the gut in my early years in stand up, like I, I came in hard and heavy, you know, winning awards and, and getting work and, and making a name for myself and making friends. And then, and then after that happened, I just kind of got weak and, you know, the person that I was with, my relationship was up and down for years. And, you know, when the relationship was good, you know, my, uh, my partner would say things like, you know, I don't know if I really want to be with a comedian. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, just, you know, you'll be, you'll be gone a lot. Like, I just, I just don't know if I really want to be with a comedian. I'm like, well, you are with me though. Like, why don't you, I was sorry, what are you telling me? Like, are, you're not going to be with me. We're not going to move forward in our relationship. Like I had, I had someone who at times was actively making me not want to do stand-up comedy because they're like, you know, well, it's just, you know, I just don't know what it, and I'm like, well, I'm, I, I love you. I love the family dynamic. Like, why would I, how, how could I actively chase stand-up when you're telling me that you don't want to be with a comedian? So I tried uh, sidestepping into other jobs. I tried a lot of things. I, I, I've had a, an interesting time with stand-up. Now, in the last few years, this person has been more supportive with stand-up. But I mean, up and down, I'm not putting any of my failures on on her. I'm I'm tackling and I'm talking about my own insecurities at times, but just feeling like, you know, to to chase one would be to push the other away. I either have to push her away and chase stand up or chase stand up and push her away. I think that's what I just said twice, but yeah, chase her. Yeah. Chase her, push away, stand up or chase stand up and push her away. And that was a tough one guys, because I loved her very much. And, and at the time, the ups and downs of the relationship, every time there was issue, I always assumed it was me not having enough value. Any criticism, just being validation of that and, and confirming what I already thought of myself. But I'm at a point in my life now where I'm like, you know what? doesn't matter how many other jobs I take. I still love doing stand up, And I think that now that I'm not in this relationship anymore and I know I won't be in it again, I think I'm going to do what I should have done right from the beginning, which was to continue to be passionate about stand up and do the things I need to do to be successful in that. So blah, 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 blah. But 15 years, the reason I got into that stuff was like, you know, I thought, thought in 15 years, I'd be a little further along. But you know what? It isn't about the destination. It is about the journey. And I have had so many great opportunities as a result of, of being a comedian. Like I, I can't even, I can't even tell you the, the shit that I've done. You know, there's, there's years of podcast episodes where you can listen for yourself, but you know, New York, Los Angeles, fucking Scotland, man. I went to Scotland and performed stand-up comedy in Scotland. Unbelievable. And, and I'm even talking about to, about going to, to Chicago at the end of February to see my buddy Paul Verzi's second Netflix special taping. I couldn't go to the first one because of the pandemic. So the, the States Canada border was closed, but <clears throat> excuse me, I, I would love to see it. I was at his first special taping. That's the, the day before we recorded that episode. It was great. And I'm, I'd really like to be there for the, the next one. So yeah, yeah. So homesick this week is really what it was for me. I, I got sick on the 23rd, you know, like woke up full blown sick and I'm like, shit, I have to work the 23rd and the 24th. I did. Okay. I worked my last shift with my partner of the season, Amanda early on. I think she was like the 21st or something. And so I just ended up working. I worked right until Christmas Eve, you know, late afternoon, Christmas Eve, meted myself up pretty good, you know, lots of medications, lots of teas and this and that. And just was like, all right, buddy, just fluids and, and sore throat lozenges. And the good news is like, I'm off between Christmas and new year's. So I'm like, you know, as much as I would hate to spend my spare, you know, my, my week off sick, there isn't a better time to get it because I'm leaving for Toronto for two weeks to stand up. And I do not want to be sick on the road and doing shows. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm at home. I'll bundle myself up, put the humidifier on and, and get myself back on track. So that's what I did. I bundled up in bed and I started. I started watching stuff. Now I did mention real quick, I had an interview for, for a Bauer tour, which I'm not really sure I want to do. They're like, Hey, you're going to be helping kids try on hockey equipment or something like that in Quebec and some other things. They're like, you need to be fully bilingual. And I was like, I am. 
but you know, not necessarily with hockey terminology, but they were like, well, yeah, we'd love to have you because they did the Sheeran tour. And they're like, oh yeah, like you got the experience. I go, yeah, I've even done hometown hockey before. Like half the people on your roster I've worked with, but, and it's funny too, because the woman I spoke to, I was like, I told them I can do it, but I can't do it the first few days. Like you guys start on the 12th, something like that. The, I think they start on the, the they just, sorry, I apologize. They started on like the 7th or 8th of January and started sorry am i recording this in the in the future they were to start the 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 like 7th or 8th of january and i was doing shows at absolute comedy until f- the 14th so i'm like i can start a week behind you guys like it's a several week tour so i'm like i'm worth it if you can be one person down for the first week i'm happy to join the tour and and go from there and they're like oh i'd love to let you know, it'd be really great to have you. you got all the experience yada yada but what was it Come on, brain. Why are you doing this? The the person I spoke to, I was saying, hey, we're doing a Santa Claus thing here. I'm, I'm chatting. I was doing like voice. She's like, oh, that's so great. And I said, hey, if you want to like a video for anybody, if you know somebody, if you have kids or somebody you want to send like a little personalized video, she's like, oh, sure. I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. So she sends me a text message like an hour later, like, oh, the mom and me wouldn't allow me if I didn't do this. She's this, she's that. She likes this. So we put this nice big video together for her from Santa Claus and all that stuff. And you know, she's like, oh my God, this is amazing. She's going to love it. Blah, 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 blah. So not only did I do a good interview, but I went a little extra mile for her, got her something nice. I'm going to break the the vibe that I've been doing guys. I'm recording this in February. You know, it's an episode that I missed. I I'm filling in the old ones. I've got all the notes. Notes have been made since this time. Just never got to record it while I was in Toronto. So, but I will say never, never heard back. I never got a phone call back, never got a message saying you're out of the running while I was in Toronto the day we were supposed to be training in Mississauga. Cause I even said, Hey, I'm going to be in Toronto when you do the training. So I can even attend the training live in person. I'll be in Toronto. Never heard back, never got a message, never got a response, never got a, Oh, Hey, sorry, we forgot to let you know nothing. So clearly didn't do the tour. Wasn't really interested. My note even says here, like not really interested. So even if they'd call me back, like I wasn't huge on it, but I'm like, it'd be nice to have some work in January and February. Now, lucky for me, I got a few other things on the calendar, which, you know, filled up and you'll hear in the episodes, but I just thought that was kind of shitty for, you know, for me to go above and beyond and to do an extra nice little thing. Now that's not the purpose that I did it, but I'm like, I did it because I was just trying to be nice. Anybody I can help out. We're in the Santa Claus thing. We got some downtime. Let's, let's record a little video for your kiddo. But the fact that they never responded, never said, Hey, thanks. Anyways. And I even reached out and said, Hey, like just a curiosity, you know, any word on this, because I've got other things that are reaching out and I'd love to reserve my time for you. Never responded. So that was really shitty of them. Yeah. But again, not, not to throw shade or anything it was just, I think if, if I get asked for something like that again, cause they reached out to me saying, Hey, we think you'd be great for this. So it's like, you bothered me. You know, you guys were hurting for people last minute. So I'd, I'd be interested to know why they didn't end up deciding on me, but you know, either way, no, uh, no word back on that. Okay. And now we're going to go back to pretending like this is the, the week right after Christmas. I did order some bomb ass pizza from, from Papa Joe's pizza. I enjoyed that thoroughly while I was watching movies and TV in bed. Some of the stuff that I did, cause the rest of this episode guys is just fucking around. Ooh, I do want to mention that I bought a couple of sweaters at the gap that were XL. All right. They were extra large size. Now, normally I'm a double XL cause I'm a fat fuck, but they were XL. Got them home, tried them on. Like I tried one on the store. I was like, oh, it's not bad, but I actually got one home, tried it on like to, to wear out. And even the extra large was too big. I'm like, holy fuck. Now, I don't know how the hell that happened. Cause there's no way most people were as big as me, but I'm like, you know, these sweaters were kind of nice. Anyways, I ended up returning them cause I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to keep losing weight, sorry, if I'm going to start the OptiFast again and begin to lose weight, I I shouldn't be buying stuff that I'm just going to be, you know, too small for later in hopes, knock on wood, bang, bang, bang. But I was actually happy to see that like, Hey, I'm, I could buy a large sweater and actually fit that. I also played a practice game of code names with my pal, Vanessa from, you know, from IRL, as people say, and you know, it was fun. We played with the internet family. So it was an opportunity for us all to spend some time together and to prepare for the Codenames holiday bash that Vanessa and I will be, be participating in tonight, air quotes, wink, wink. And I hope that we, you know, I hope, oh, is that, was it already over? I didn't put it in the notes. I didn't, didn't plug it. Is that supposed to be, cause it's supposed to be tonight, right? Weird. Where's the, where's the notes for the next week episode? What, what night was our thing? I guess the holiday bash was supposed to be the 27th. So I wouldn't have been talking about it. 
on this episode, but I still should have been plugging it. Guys, if you wanted to watch Wanted, <laughs> if you want to watch us, go to nerd twitch.tv slash nerd incorrect and you can watch Vanessa and I play in the holiday batch. Hopefully we move forward. <laughs> oh, I do have it coming up this week. I just didn't plug the thing, but you guys should watch Codenames Live regardless. Mondays and Thursdays, my buddy Tim Riel, 8 p.m. Eastern, other great comics on the show. It's just a fun game. Love playing Codenames and I got to play with my uh, my internet family on the, the, you know, during the holidays while I was homesick. I started playing God of War Ragnarok again, and it's a good game. It's a, a big, what they call AAA title. It's a big game, highly anticipated. One of those ones that everyone talks about in the gaming community for a while on PlayStation. There's not much to say. It's, it's a walk around killing monsters and, and demons and, and bad guys, skeletons, that kind of shit. But the, the idea is it's a continuation of a story from the first game and it's a father and son duo and misunderstand each other and trying to get answers and whatever. It's, it's a fine game. My buddy Chad is a huge fan of it and he's like, Oh, one of the best stories of ever and whatever. And I'm not finished it. So I can't give it a, a judgment as a whole, but I did spend more, more hours playing it. I started playing it when it first came out probably like a year ago. And I'm just now, you know, playing a little bit more of it and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the gameplay is fun. I like it. It's a good game. It's just not grabbing me by the balls in terms of story wise. So Chad had me expecting like just the story that just won't let you go. And there's long parts of it that I'm just like, never want to play again. Just long chatty kind of obvious things are happening. So it's not, you know, particularly surprising. It's not a bad thing at all. It's just sometimes when, when people hype things up and say, Oh, it's the best ever. You kind of, you kind of expect a little more. I remember when I was in high school in the movie, there's something about Mary came out it was one of the Farrelly brothers, brothers first movies, one of Ben Stiller's first like big leading man roles that I can remember anyways. And I remember on TV, like, like it was supposed to be a funny movie and it is a funny movie, but I remember the commercials, no bullshit guys. This is probably almost verbatim, if not verbatim, but one of the things commercial, this movie is so funny. You have to see it multiple times because you're laughing so hard in the theater. You're missing jokes. That was, that was like almost exactly what they said, but that, but the, but the key messaging was the same. You have to see it multiple times because you're laughing so hard. You're missing other jokes. And that movie was sort of, I, I went to go see that movie thinking it was going to be the funniest thing I ever saw. And it was just like, it was like, meh, there was a couple funny parts, but I really didn't find it to be that, that funny. It was, it was just, it was just a comedy. I actually liked like, I don't think Dumb and Dumber was Fairly Brothers. I could be wrong. I, I actually, I do think it was them, but I'm not certain. But like, I like Dumb and Dumber better. I like me, myself, and Irene better. There's other ones that they've done that I find funnier. So something about Mary was just kind of like a, meh. You know, it's funny, but it's like a Seth Rogen, you know, Jonah Hill movie to me where it's like, yeah, it's funny, but it's not, you know, I don't think they're reinventing the wheel. But again, there's, you know, 40-Year-Old Virgin was great. I think, I think it was like the Fairly Brothers version of 40 year old virgin in the sense that it was like, they're kind of like their breakthrough movie, except 40 year old virgin. I found to be quite funny and, and something about where I didn't. And that's how I feel about God of War Ragnarok in the sense that it's just overhyped. Like this thing's going to be, you know, cutting edge and, and, and unparalleled. And it's just like, yeah, it's fine. It's fun. It's fun to play, but I'm, I would actually rather play when it came to The Last of Us, for me personally, and I'm not going to talk about it for long, just when it came to The Last of Us, I was enjoying the story stuff. In fact, I, you know, like I didn't even mind when I went on on long portions where it was just I was getting fed story because I found the narrative to be particularly good and I enjoyed what I was experiencing as a story. I didn't, I didn't need to stop and kill shit. Whereas like playing God of War, I'm like, somebody give me like just enough talking. Let me go back to fighting and killing shit. Like I don't, I don't care. This story is not compelling to me at the moment. So I'll, not that anyone gives a shit, but I'll, if you're, if you're someone who's like, oh, I don't really play games, but if I'm going to pick up my kid's console game, maybe this is one I'll play. I would say play the first one. It's good. The second one is fun to play. I just haven't found anything in the story that's really made me, made me be like, fuck man, I can't wait to turn it back on and, and keep going. In fact, breaking the wall again since this week i haven't played it again so back into february i haven't I haven't played i played other games but i haven't played that i spent some time on on christmas eve crystal and i had planned to you know just spend time amicably this is before things have progressed you know to the current time but 
you know, I, I, she was just saying, you know, like, Hey, the kids are going to be with their dad. Did you want to spend some time? And I was like, I appreciated the gesture. And I was like, yes, that would be nice. So I just said, if you could do me a favor, cause I got sick on the 23rd. I said, if you could do me a favor and, and pick a few, well, you know, we like scary movies. So it's like, if you could pick a few options for me, I'd appreciate it. I just don't feel well. And, and it, it would, it would just be nice to like, you know, just kind of know what we're going to watch. There's always somebody, give me one sec, guys. There's been somebody in the neighborhood lately who's just starts honking their horn like beep beep. And then, you know, like a minute or two will go by and you're like, okay, you know, beep beep. What the fuck? You know, and three or four minutes will go by. Beep beep. I'm like, okay, whoever it is, call them, send them a text. Stop fucking honking your horn. It's irritating. So that's the exact same person, just the way they're doing it. It's not a, it's not like the beep when you're, when you lock your doors, it's a, it's a very deliberate honking, but I can't see a car on the street doing it. So. You know, and it's hard to tell with the car shut off in driveway. There are lots of cars in driveways. You can't tell which one it is, but I want to go kill that person. You might, might happen again. I'll definitely snap if they, if they do. So Christmas Eve watching, watching some movies with Crystal. So I asked her to line a couple things up. She had suggested a few movies. I was like, cool. Those sound, sound good. Let's start with this. And if we still have time, we'll watch the second one. So the first movie that she put on she said had been getting really good reviews. It's not exactly horror, but it's one that everybody, you know, apparently everyone is talking about on Amazon prime. And it was called salt burn. <clears throat> the only actor in it that I've ever seen before. I don't know what I've seen him from. He looks like somebody who's been in like the Harry Potter's like fantastic beasts movies. So I feel like he's been that seemingly a British actor. I've seen him a lot in like social media posts now, about him being Joker. So I think he's going to play like the Joker in in a Batman movie or something like that. Well, that, what else would you play it in? I don't know. There's a standalone Joker movie. I feel like it's, but it's that same actor that's in these, these Joker fucking posts and stuff. Anyways, don't know his name. Don't care at the moment. It was weird. It's like, he's this loner kid. They said like the movie's really gross. And I was like, okay. So watch the movie. It's like this kid who goes to school. He's not super social. He makes friends with some guy who is, they hang out together. It looks like he starts to get a little jealous when this person hangs out with other people without him. And then, and then at some point he gets invited to this guy's like family estate and you know, he goes there and, and Rosamund Pike is the mom, the bitch from gone girl. Sorry, the actor from, from gone girl. And a few people like, I, again, there's like some recognizable ones, but not like huge stars as far as I'm concerned. And so he's now in this property and they're talking to him like, Oh, you know, welcome. And why is our, our son so fond of you? Just like, just whatever. Like it wasn't super boring, but nothing's really happening here. Like what's the premise of this? Like we just, what seemed like 40 minutes in the movie, we just arrived at the place that the movie's namesake, right. Of, of the salt burn place. Like what the fuck's going on? And then like a few nights in the guy's like walking to the shared bathroom, like the, you know, the guy who invited him, I guess our protagonist, who's like the, the, the little outcast who's been invited to this place. They have a shared bathroom. So one bedroom on one side of this bathroom, the, this, the, you know, the protagonist's bath bedroom on the other side of the bathroom. And he goes to like, he goes like to the bathroom and like the doors kind of open and he sees like the guy who invited him, the son in the bathtub water's full and he's jerking off. And I think he comes in the water or whatever. I don't remember, but then, you know, drains the tub and walks away. And then this like outcast kid like goes in and you can see there's like, you know, quarter inch half an inch of water in the bottom of the tub as it's draining and just leans his face into it, puts his lips in the water and then starts like slurping the bath water. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like that was kind of gross. So like you're trying to drink his, his cum soup or whatever. It was just weird. And then the very next scene is like, he sees like the sister walking around outside. I think he saw her like some night before where she was like wearing some see-through dress and standing outside the window, like way down down right it's an estate so she's down on the the grounds and he's just like oh i can see through your dress whatever so the next scene is like oh there she is outside again he goes out and she's like oh what are you doing out here and he's like you've been walking around blah 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 blah. and then he goes to like kiss her or something or he goes like he i don't remember if he kisses her first or just goes for it but he puts his like fingers he starts to finger she's like no no now's not the time i'm i'm on my you know period whatever however she says i'm i'm on my period tastefully and he's like well then lucky for you i'm a vampire and he puts his fingers in comes out with blood and then he starts sucking the blood off his i'm like what the fuck is going on like out of nowhere this guy went from being socially awkward and weird to like johnny 
cum soup drinking. Oh, I'm going to just eat your p- bloody pussy. And he starts putting her bloody finger, like his bloody fingers in her mouth too. And I was just like, what, where did this guy get this fucking wacky confidence? Like it just took such a left turn and I was sick as a dog. And I'm just like, you know, I don't, yeah, I see why they're saying it's gross. I don't know what's going on. I go, let's just, I go, can we, can we switch it for now? You know what I mean? I'm like, and, and Crystal's like, yeah, of course. I'm like, so what else you got? And she's like, let's watch Hell 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 House LLC Origins. There's a Hell House Origins movie on Shutter. So we figured out how to make that work. We started watching that. Very bad acting. It wasn't anywhere near as good as the other Hell House movies, which slowly dropped off as far as I'm concerned. But I think we got like an hour into the Saltburn movie, and I was like, I don't, you know, like I can't. Can we just? She's like, Yeah, I'm not really feeling it either. And we're watching this downstairs separate chairs and everything like that. I'm sick. I'm given space. Like this wasn't like a snuggle and watch movies kind of scenario just for, for transparency. But I think it was a little, like it was gross. It was sexual. It was gross. And then it was like, Oh, let's watch this hell house. One. And it was just really bad acting or whatever. And I just, I just said, I'm, I'm really not feeling well. And I go, neither of these movies are really gripping. Is it okay if we try another time? I go, really appreciate what you did. She made snacks and things you know, had gotten some like mozzarella sticks and some little pizza bites. She had put a reasonable amount of effort into making sure there would be a nice, just amicable, nice, friendly night. And I am grateful for that. I was just way too sick. I just wasn't feeling good at all. I was like sipping like fucking tea with honey and lemon and shit. Like I just was not feeling well. But since the breakup, you know, there was like little to no effort spent in just trying to be friends. So I thought it was important and, and I appreciated the effort that she, that she put forward on it. You know, it, you know, speak again, breaking the wall, speaking from February, it would be the last time that we would, uh, we would hang out together. And, uh, and I gotta be honest, gang, I don't see, I don't see us doing anything like that ever again. So, you know, sucks that I was sick, but it was, it was a nice attempt to be amicable and be social in the house and not feel shitty outside of illness, of course. So Saltburn haven't finished. Hell House haven't finished. Finished it the next week. It'll be on next week's podcast. But yeah, and then just went to bed sick. The the thing I did finish, and I think that this kind of bleeds over in the next episode, but I'll talk about it all now, was while I was in bed during the day, I finished both season five and season six of Better Call Saul. Love Better Call Saul. Love the show. Love the character. I really liked him in Breaking Bad. What I, I think I liked Better Call Saul better than Breaking Bad because I love how there's like the criminal aspect and I love that there's like the law aspect. It's like, how do you get, how do you get, you know, around the law in a legal way? Like, how do you manipulate the law to the the biggest extent? And I just liked seeing the duality of it in the show. I really liked seeing how they got out of situations. Obviously they learned a lot when, when they wrote Breaking Bad. So I find the writing is obviously improved like anything should, you know, it's evolved but I, I watched season four and then I, when season five came out years ago, I was going to watch it. Chris was like, Oh, I'd like to watch it too. I really like Breaking Bad. So I was like, cool. Let's watch Better Call Saul. And like anything that's important to me, you know, this sounds a little bitter to say, but like anything that's important to me, she didn't do. And I kept saying, Hey, please watch Better Call Saul. Like we'll watch it together. There'd be a few times we put it on. She's like, I'm just not feeling it right now. Like, can we watch it another time? And so for years I waited for her to watch like just the fourth season of Better Call Saul so that we could catch up. So I guess one of the nice things about the breakup is that I could finally watch shit without having to wait for somebody. And a lot of couples know the whole waiting for your partner. Don't watch ahead. We watch together, all that stuff. Well, I waited years for her to watch a season of, of Better Call Saul. So luckily one saving grace of the breakup is that I get to watch my stuff. And I did, I watched season five and season six of better call Saul. I, I don't hate it. There's still some episodes that I really enjoyed, but I, I found that after watching four seasons with character arcs that were kind of growing and getting stronger and stuff like that, and really interesting, I really do feel like a lot of stuff was wrapped up way too quick and very unsatisfying two characters that are not in, in breaking bad. Well, three characters are off the top of my head. Kim Wexler. That's the third one I wasn't thinking of, but, but Howard Hamlin and Nacho Varga, neither of those characters, you know, are in breaking bad. And you know, the whole time I'm going like, well, how are they going to, how are they going to, you know, explain these characters away where, where they were through the breaking bad series, what happened to them or whatever. Right. And I found even the Kim thing just seemed like, I, I suppose, I suppose that did the best job of wrapping that up. 
or, or making sense of it, explaining it, but Nacho and Howard, I felt to be very, very, very just like a, like a Stephen King ending. Wrap it up, just do whatever. Didn't love it. Didn't care for it. Don't think that those characters got, got a proper send off. It's not to say that they deserved anything. It's just that something that would have suited the, the story more, like a, more of an ending to the characters than just kind of like, we got it. Well, what are we going to do this guy? You know, we got four episodes left. How the fuck are we going to get rid of them? Just, you know, this, that, or whatever, you know, write them out of the story is what I mean. So it was, I was disappointed by that. I, it felt very much to me like the Sopranos season five and six, even though season six was two parts for the Sopranos. And I believe it was for game of Thrones as well, or, or it was six and seven, however the hell they did it. But I know Sopranos was five and six, six was two parts, but in season five and six of the Sopranos, it was just like, oh, we're just going to give every character cancer and have them die. Or we're going to have Christopher get killed in a car accident. And just that's his stare. That's his story. It's nothing. And they just started getting rid of people with, with no real explanation for why they were doing it. And it just felt very rushed because it's ending and everything has to end. Didn't like season five and six of the Sopranos. If you stopped watching the Sopranos after season four, you'd be like, that's a fucking great story. Great show. Compelling season five and six, they just kill off characters. And then it ends with, with what a lot of people say is like one of the most unsatisfying endings of TV, but that was HBO. HBO would, would leave you unsatisfied with the ending of their series many, many times. Hey, speaking of another HBO show, Game of Thrones, what the fuck do you know? I, I didn't even remember. Hey, they're both HBO shows. Yeah. Game of Thrones. I stopped watching after I think it was the fourth or fifth season. Whenever, whenever Jon Snow is thought to be gone, and then I didn't get back on board because I didn't really love the show to begin with. I think it's overrated, but I, I didn't really think it was all that good and I didn't really care to get back into it. And then everyone who was watching seasons, either five or six or six and seven, whatever it was for the Game of Thrones, also were like, yeah, it just doesn't really make any sense. And it was ended stupid and all that. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like an HBO show. So that's how I felt about Better Call Saul. The ending wasn't horrific, but... I don't know. I really rooted for, for Saul in a lot of ways. Like he seemed to have a conscience The the, the last it's interesting because when you watch about like how the, the, the metaphors are in the last episode, what they say and how they try to paint him, there's a lot of things in the series that would, would contradict that. And I'm not saying the whole, whole story is horrific, but they make it seem that like he's always been a scumbag. You know what I mean? In the sense that like, he's got no morals or ethics. He's just always been a shitty person. And it's like, I, I think I identify with Saul because like I game systems all the time. People are always like, Oh, where's your coupons? Or, you know, when are you going to return that Josh? Like, like I just live to, to buy things and return them and never use them. But it's like, no, I, I'm a consumer and I, I like to be able to return things if I don't like them. You know, if I buy something impulsively, like a lot of times the reason I buy it is because I know that, you know, I can return it if I need to, but I'm like, Hey, it might not be here. So that's my system. I tell, you know, the employees tell you all the time at Costco, you're like, you're like, ah, I'm not sure. And they're like, Hey, listen, you can buy it. If you don't like it, just bring it back. The, the employees literally encourage you to, to make use of that. And Costco knows as a business, if you buy it, you know, there's going to be some people that will just keep it as opposed to bringing it back, but it's a better way for, for you to give people the confidence to just buy, 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 buy when they think, oh, I'm not really locked into it. And it, it does work for them to sell a lot, but people think I'm just, oh, you just like to scam. And, and it's, it's not a scam. It's their fucking policy. You know what I mean? I've bought stuff that, that went to the back of a closet. I never used it once, never even opened it. And then they're like, you know, you're going to return that thing like two years later. I'm like, yeah, didn't know it was there. And I've never used it. It's not opened. Like, yeah, that's why, that's why I buy at Costco. Cause if I do that and something doesn't get used, I'm like, yeah, I, I can bring it back and get my money back hundred percent. That's not scamming the system. That is their system, but just things where like, yeah, if I, if I see a big company, you know, makes a mistake and, and, you know, bank error in the customer's favor, like, sure. I love that shit, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I would never, I would never manipulate a mom and pop where you're looking in the eyes of the person that is going to lose the money. If you return something, whatever, like, no, I don't do that. Billion dollar companies. Absolutely. You know, you don't get to a billion dollar company if you don't fuck over your employees or something. But with Saul, it was always like, sure, he would pull shit. I, I've never done the the whole in a bar scam things, whatever, but he was, he was definitely a con man. I'm not a con man, but I, I saw him as a guy who, you know, 
tried to not do things on the up and up and he got himself in trouble. He definitely paid the price for, for being a flim flam man. But when he tried to do things right, if you've watched any better calls, better call Saul, the little slight spoilers, when he tried to do things the right way, there was people that wouldn't look at him differently than what he was before and even sabotaged him. So it's like by trying to do it the right way, he was sabotaged. So the only way he could do it was the wrong way or the scummy way or whatever. And you see that in him. So within the very last episode where they, where they try to put this thing where it's just like, oh, you've just always been a piece of shit and now you're going to go for redemption. I'm like, I think he tried to redeem himself many different times and the universe got in his way. Again, I spoke earlier in this episode about like me trying to do things the right way and, and do it and you just get fucked over regardless. So you start to feel like, you know what, if everything's going to be out to fuck me, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself. No one's protecting me. No one's helping me succeed the right way. So, you know, I have to make my own opportunities. And I, I resonated with that with Saul. It wasn't that he was a bad guy, which is kind of what they tried to do in the end. I think, you know, I think he tried to redeem himself many times along the way. And for whatever reason, every time he tried to do it the right way, it was, it was done. And so like Saul was a, was an ends justifies the means kind of guy. But yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, the ending to me, it's like, it was better than a lot of shows, but it just, just, just wasn't as, as, as good as I would have liked it. It actually, to me, it felt like he lost. It didn't feel like he, he won. It felt like he lost. And what I like about that show is that it's like, it's, it's like taking a system that's already corrupt and flawed and then having this guy who, who uses his own fucking strategy to have, you know, like there's lots of times in the show where, where even though he's manipulating the law and fucking around, like he's, he's protecting someone like the right thing happened as a result. And for, for the way it ends for it to be like, you know, you're just doing the right thing, even though you don't win. It's like, well, why? Well, the system wins system isn't right. So it's like, it's almost to me, it's like a defeat. It's not a it isn't a win and it isn't a always doing what's right because the whole system isn't right. And I think it's illustrated many times in the show that way. So my opinion isn't that like, you know, Hey, the right thing happened at the end. It's more like, no, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, um, I was left feeling unfulfilled, but great show, great writing. Love Bob Odenkirk. I'm glad to, to see that his career has gotten stronger since that series ended. And, and even just the hyping up towards the end, the, the, the movie Nobody, you know, we're seeing him in some other things too. It's just cool to see, you know, a comedian, a comedic actor doing drama and, and action and stuff like that. It's fucking awesome. Okay. Well, that was the, that was the week. I've got, I've said a lot and we still got some things to go through. So let's go through. The word of the week. This is a word that I do not, I've heard many times. I didn't even know it was spelled like this. So I, I assume people say it too fast and, 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 and get it wrong. So the word is ostensive. And normally I will hear people say, well, ostensively. And so in the fashion, I, I usually try to say what I think the word means first and then, and then what it actually means. So I think that it's like a comparison thing because you people will be like, well, ostensibly it's, it's this, that, or whatever versus whatever the other thing is. So, so ostensive, here's the definition. Ostensive definitions specifies the meaning of an expression by pointing out to examples, pointing to examples of things to which the expression applies. So as an example, green is the color of grass, limes, lily pads, and emeralds. So that's, that's ostensive. So you say ostensibly, someone's like, you no, know, it says something, you know, well, ostensibly, you know, I guess I think it's really wet and gross outside. Well, ostensibly your shoes are covered in dirt. You know what I mean? I don't know. Fuck. Let's, let's see if we can get a better explaining than that. Because I usually hear people say ostensibly. So ostensive is to use is, is uh, let's see the different definition is to directly or clearly, sorry, directly or clearly demonstrative as an adjective. So your boots are ostensibly muddy. Was that how you'd use it as an adjective, ostensive? Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, I've got the volume turned way down. Thank you. Ostensive. Ostensive. Yeah. The wet ground is ostensive that it's raining outside. Is that correct? I think so. But ostensive, if you've ever, ever heard someone, usually, like I said, people say ostensively this, that, or whatever. Uh, again, I can't even come up with one because I'm, I'm not even sure I'm using it. How do you use ostensive in a sentence? 
The questionnaire asked parents about their ostensive naming of familiar objects. The fuck is that? Ostensive naming routines have been well documented in children's literatures, literature, but they are not found in all cultures. Parents often use ostensive gestures such as pointing to point out common reference to their children. Okay, so ostensive is like pointing is an ostensive action. You're demonstrating by pointing to something. But that's also just, you could also just be pointing too, right? If you're like over there and this finger is an ostensive example or or this pointing is an extensive, ostensive example. I don't know. It's round like this. That's an ostensive gesture to point out, you know, through examples. All right, whatever. I got more shit to talk about. So ostensive is the word of the week. Yeah, I'll put that right in the notes too. Top five gang. The top five, this one, if I'm not mistaken, was provided by my buddy Ivan a long time ago, back when I was originally doing the top five lists. Ivan asked me to do top five movies that all all take place in one location. Now, that's difficult because there's a lot of movies that take place 80 to 90% in one location, but then, come on, brain, but then they'll have like one or two scenes outside of that. So I, I picked a few things. I picked a few things that I, I feel operate within the constraints of this, like movies happening in one location. So my thoughts are like 80 to 90% in this one location. However, I have five honorable mentions that because, because they kind of take place all in one spot, but then there's a lot of, if, if the place is too big, it still, it forces, it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't force it. It allows for too many different set changes. You know what I mean? Like if, if a movie is only taking place in one spot, it really forces the acting and the story to be compelling because you're in the same spot. So what else is going on has got to be compelling enough to sort of guide it. So the, the movies the movies, I'd like to give an honorable mention, and some of them are very, very similar. In fact, probably almost entirely similar, except for the last two. I'd like to give an honorable mention to, sorry, I'm just trying to find the note here, From Dusk Till Dawn. I like From Dusk Till Dawn. Most of the movie's taking place in that roadhouse. However, there's a lot of it beforehand. The the robbery, the in the, the RV, you know the hotel room, a lot of it getting to the place. And then of course, once you're there, there's different parts of it too, but that is that it does take place. A lot of place, very, very similar movie tales from the crypt demon night. Again, a few scenes on the outside, but this place was a, you know, giant roadhouse or whatever with many different rooms and scenes take place in many different rooms, the attic bedrooms, this uh, and the other kitchen storage room, like so many different things going on where you can have it, whatever. So like the one location is broad, something I didn't I didn't even write down here, but it comes to mind as like the thing, both the, the, the remake and the original. I mean, it's happening kind of, you know, at a base, an Arctic base, but again, there's lots of different rooms and things like that. So it's, it's, it, it's, it, you get enough set changes that you can freshen things up, right? It's all in one isolated spot, but it's enough things going on. Also the movie feast with Krista Allen. One of my celebrity crushes. Oh my God, I love Chris Allen so much. Feast is kind of like a bunch of creatures are attacking this, you know, roadhouse bar, you know, but there's again, different rooms and stuff like that. And it's very Tales from the Crypt Demon Night, right? The movie Legion where, you know, creatures and stuff like that are attacking people at a diner in the middle of nowhere. You know, these are all sort of that one location, but there's outside, you know, outside scenes inside, whatever it is. Like it's, there's enough different spots in it that it can kind of take place all over 10 Cloverfield lane. Again, it's supposed to be in some guy's bunker, but there's enough different rooms and things like that where the new, the, the, you know, you can keep things relatively fresh and, and finally hateful eight. Now I'm sure there's a lot more than this, but Hateful Eight, again, takes place predominantly at Mindy's Haberdashery, but a big portion of the movie is happening in the carriage beforehand. There's the basement, there's the, the rooms, there's the outside, there's the barn. There's enough set changes that that it doesn't feel like something that would that would fall under this category. So those were a lot of honorable mentions, just, just in case you're wondering why, if any of those were ones that you would have on your top five list and why they weren't on mine, I'm, I'm just letting you know, that's why they didn't make the cut for me. There was too many different 
set changes. Too much, too much space to to feel confined to just kind of one one spot. So for me, my top five movies taking place in one location, and thank you, Ivan, for the suggestion, is in number five, the movie Clerks. That movie has just out front of the store and usually just inside the store, just a small convenience store. There's not a lot of different space. So it's got to be based on the, you know, the, the, the content and the context of what they're talking about, right? It's, it's the scene itself and the, 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 the dialogue that tends to be more fascinating in that movie. And of course that movie launched Kevin Smith's career. So for a black and white movie, And I just saw something recently that said that one of the reasons that they filmed in black and white is because fuck, there was a few reasons, but one of the things was they had the shutters down all the time because they had to film at night too. So they, they didn't want to have to constantly, you know, take longer to film because you know, that's daytime. We only have so many hours during the day. They were able to film at night as well with the shutter closed and just do the interior lighting. There was another reason that he went black and white, and I, I can't for the life of me remember it right now. It was a while back that I that I saw a thing on it, but it was it was really cool. It was really cool, and I I I don't. It's not one of my favorite movies, but I did like that it was a newer movie that was doing black and white. It was kind of all in one location. It was just a lot of different dialogue scenes, kind of Quentin Tarantino ish in the sense that the dialogue really is what keeps you compelled you know, but it was a, it was a good movie. Number four, the movie room based on the book room, (laughs) that movie is predominantly, like I said too, I'm, if, you know, I know that there's a couple scenes that happen outside of, of the room and, uh, and I won't spoil anything because it's a very interesting movie, but that happens that that movie is predominantly in one room and it's the mother and the son and them kind of going through their life in this room. Again, another one that, that just sort of forces the context of the the movie to, to really have some substance there in number three, first, first movie of his, I ever saw, didn't want to see it. But once we started watching it was super, super good reservoir dogs. And I am aware that a couple of times in the movie, it's tough. This one almost breaks my rule because there's a scene at the beginning that's in the restaurant and thinking about it now, there is the scene, you know, very brief scene showing Mr. Pink running down the street, you know, the scene with, with Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth and how they end up where they are in the warehouse and, and a brief scene where he's doing the commode story. So where he's in his apartment, where he's practicing outside, where he's, you know, telling the guys in a club. So there are a few scenes that happen externally from that, but I, I think if you, if you add up all those scenes outside, they still take up less than 80% of the movie because most of the movie is in that one room in the warehouse, but that, excuse me, that's a great movie that everything takes place in one sort of area in number two. And I know this one, some people might say too, I, I would call it the house, but really it's the bedroom that, that takes up a lot of the, the time. At least I feel like it does, but it, it is just a house, just a, a, a series of bedroom hallway downstairs in the living room. There's really nowhere else this place places. Number two is paranormal activity. That was, that was one of the first, still one of the first found footage films. I feel clearly Blair, Witch was the first, but Blair, Witch does not hold up. You can still watch paranormal activity now. And it is still scary. Did a very good job of like placed cameras, right? Security cameras and things like that around the house. And of course the, the vast majority of this movie is all taking place in the bedroom, in the hallway, in the staircase outside their room. So one of the best kind of all taking place in just one spot, paranormal activity, very, very good movie. The second one expanded is still predominantly in one house, but they're still you know, showing the outside. They show a lot more of kitchen and living room and dining room and bedroom. They take, take a lot more use of the house. Whereas in the first paranormal activity, they scared the shit out of you using very, very little bit of location switching. It's predominantly just a hallway in a bedroom. Like it's, it's well done, very well done. And my favorite favorite movie taking place in one location. This one doesn't even come close to breaking its, its, you know, percentage allowance is a movie called the big kahuna with Danny DeVito, Kevin Spacey and Peter Facinelli. It's a, it's based on a play called hospitality suite. And basically the entire movie takes place in a, in a tiny suite where these guys are, are lubricant salesmen. It's got really little to do with the movie. 
but they're salesmen. They're here for a convention and they're trying to host a little party where they can do a meet and greet and schmooze some potential clients. And one in particular that they're after the big kahuna. That's the big fish that they're trying to land. And almost the entire movie takes place in this hospitality suite. There's a very brief scene at the beginning with Kevin Spacey coming up in the elevator and, and walking down the hall to the room. Very brief you know, maybe 60 seconds. And it keeps flashing back and forth between Danny DeVito and Peter Facinelli, who are already in the hospitality suite, right? So you're talking minimal stuff. There's a quick cut to Peter Facinelli walking down the street and looking at his reflection, probably less than 60 seconds. And then at the end of the movie, a shot of the two, two of the guys making eye contact with each other in the lobby of the hotel at the end of the movie. Again, less than 60 seconds long. This movie is almost entirely in the hospitality suite. And, and it's a great, great movie. I really loved it. It's I, when I got rid of my DVDs, it's one of the few DVDs I actually kept. Cause I always want to be able to watch this movie. It's, it's a great movie because it's a lot of conversations. I think it deals with a lot of sincerity and stuff like that. I'm not sure how different it is from the play. I never saw it, but I, I got to tell you, if I was in an opportunity to see the play, if I had the opportunity to see it, you know, I'm not going to drive seven hours to see it, but if I could see this play, I would. It's a great conversation about sincerity and and being genuine. It's, they talk a lot about it. They talk about, you know, relationships. They talk about uh, theology. They talk about, you know, just conversations because, you know, it's, it's fascinating the, the conversations that they have in this thing. It's just, you know, talking before the event, talking after the event. And it was just, it was just good conversations to hear. I know that Danny DeVito mentions to, to one of the guys at the end of the movie, he's saying, you know, how one guy was saying, I was trying to be genuine with him. I wasn't trying to make the guy feel like he was being, you know, I wasn't trying to sell him lubricants or whatever, you know, and, but he was selling him on God. He was trying to talk to him about God and Jesus or whatever. And Danny DeVito says that, if you were trying to be honest with the guy, if you were trying to just have a conversation with him, ask him about his kids, ask him how his day was, you know, ask him about his favorite music because, because as soon as you put your hands on a conversation and you steer it in a direction, it's no longer a conversation. It's a pitch and you're not a human being anymore. You're a marketing rep. And, and that's, that was just, there was a lot of conversations about that essentially, but the idea is just, you know, if you're talking to someone and you're trying to control what you talk about and which way the conversation goes, whatever, it's not just a conversation. It's a pitch. You're trying to convince someone of something or, you know, what have you. And there's a lot of that that goes on nowadays, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it was a great movie. It dealt with a lot of like, just, I, I, I don't want to wreck anything for you. I would, if you haven't seen it, I mean, I, I, I'm sad to know that Kevin Spacey is a, is a predator, or at least, at least the allegations, you know, allegedly he is a predator. I don't know if it has it been proven yet or whatever, but, but I, I always found him to be a good actor. He has very much that, that super charismatic American beauty confidence where it's just like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm cool. Super sarcastic, funny. Like Kevin Spacey's great in that movie. Danny DeVito's great in that movie. And even Peter Facinelli is, is great in it to the point where you like, you really don't like him at times, but you're like, fuck, like he's doing a, he's doing a great job of being that fucking annoying character. So I, I, I love that movie so much. I've watched it many times and I'll, I'll keep watching it, but it's a, it's a phenomenal movie. One of my favorites. And in my opinion, the best movie, number one movie that takes place all in one location, the big kahuna, or if you get a chance to see the play, this play is called hospitality suite. But uh, loved it. Cool. Did my honorable mentions? Whatever. All right. Plug time. Yeah. Plug time. Guys, I'm hosting and then headlining Absolute Comedy in Toronto. I'll be hosting January 2nd through January 7th, headlining January 9th through 14th. You can get your tickets at absolutecomedy.ca or you can give them a call 416-486-7700. I would love to have you out there. Also coming up this week, guys, New Year. Oh, New Year's Eve. I hope you have a great New Year's. I hope you have great plans. I hope you make some great resolutions. And I look forward to hearing about them, of course. Hopefully, Red and I will win our game tonight and continue on to win the entire Holiday Bash code names. But you can check that out at twitch.tv slash nerdincorrect. You know, I think it's 8 p.m. But you guys should watch that show all the time. Mondays and Thursdays, hosted by my buddy Tim Riel, very funny comic. And, and it's the official code names, guys. Who gets to be the official live-streamed board game show, right? How hard is that? But he is. For that game, he is. And then also I'll be packing for Toronto and all that shit and hopefully feeling better. 
you know, all that fun stuff. So thanks for checking that up coming up this week for me. Oh, I just told you about that. God, I'm good at uh, what I do. I'm just going to keep, keep drinking my teas, getting my rest, watching uh, shows that disappoint me or in movies that gross me out and, and hopefully feeling better, you know? Being sick through the holiday season sucks. But listen, I want to hear from you guys. Contact at onemanpodcast.com. Tell me your top five lists. What are your top five movies that take place in one location? What would your rules be for having that list? Tell me any top five. You want me to, you want me to do a top five? Give me a suggestion and I'll do that. But in the meantime, guys, road to recovery for this fella. I appreciate you spending the time listening to me and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. <coughs> I'm sick on Christmas. Miserable and sad, but I'm counting my blessings and wearing my best things and laughing almost all the time. Because Aunt Dorothy thinks it's psychosomatic. My sister say to eat some garlic. Everyone has a of advice for me You see I'm sick On Christmas I'm miserable And mad While I'm drinking ginger tea seat next to me You see I'm sick on Christmas But I'm trying to 